Round one was over. <laughs> Parents won. Kids sipped. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a mouse. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Gentlemen, start your engines. Bunch of madness around here. Hello and welcome to the Disney Dads Podcast. This is a show where we talk a little bit about us, a lot about Disney, and it's fun for the whole family. My name is Jason, and sitting across from me are my two Disney buddies, Mike and Justin. And tonight we have a special guest, Dr. Disneyland himself, Jeff Barnes, the author of The Wisdom of Walt and Beyond the Wisdom of Walt. Two incredible books that I promise you are worth a read. Jeff, thank you for being with us. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming, Jeff. Nice to see you. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you. I, uh, I'm a massive, massive fan of yours. I, uh, I read your books uh, a little while back, and I have to tell you, me personally, I'm a huge Disney history fan. And when I went into it and I picked the book up, I wasn't expecting to, I wasn't expecting what it was, and it was such a great surprise to have not only Disney history, but that in, wrapped into a personal growth book. I mean, it really made me look at my life and where I was and where I'm going and, uh, and the steps that I can take as not only a father, uh, but also in business and can grow myself personally. And I have to ask you one thing is when you were looking at writing these, what brought you to want to do this? So, uh, well, uh, th- it's an interesting question. So I knew probably 25 years ago that I was going to write a book about or on Disneyland at some point in my life. And, you know, as I got older, I, I just found myself migrating more and more towards leadership and success. You know, what does it take uh, to, to, to have personal growth, take yourself to the next level? And then um, ultimately, you know, between teaching the History of Disneyland course, which I do every summer, and being Dean of Student Success at the university where I work, just sort of that recognition that you could take the story and the magic of the Magic Kingdom and marry it to those success principles, to those life lessons, to those leadership ideas, and hopefully create something completely new and and different that didn't currently exist in the marketplace. Because there are a lot of great Disney history books out there. And they're so good, I didn't really feel like we needed another one. And there are a lot of great business corporate Disney books out there. And again, they're great. And I didn't really feel like we needed another one. I wanted to do something that wasn't just different, but much more personal, that, that really connected with where you are in your journey and specifically where you are in your story and hopefully help you improve your story based on your love of, of Disney and specifically your experiences at the Disney parks. You know, and you, you said something really poignant to me as someone who's always thought about writing a book and it's, it's overwhelming whenever you think about it, but you said something uh, to the, to the fact of it took me 20 years and 149 days to write this book. <laughs> now what to people hearing that they're thinking, man, this guy's really uh, he's writing a page a day, but explain to people what you meant by that. 
Well, the first 20 years was procrastination. The first 20 years was feeling overwhelmed. The first 20 years was, I have no clue how to do this. Who am I to think that I could do it? Even if I did figure it out, nobody would notice, no one would care. And then in, in 2014, the, the day after I gave the first lecture in the class that I had always dreamed of teaching, which was the history of Disneyland, the day after I gave that first lecture, I was then diagnosed with a brain tumor. And as I write about in the first book, despite the fact that the neurosurgeon at Cedars-Sinai wanted to operate immediately, we delayed that surgery for two and a half months so that I could teach the class. Well, when you have that sort of experience, you, you realize really quickly what matters and you're not going to be here for forever. And so after the surgery and you know the confirmation that fortunately the tumor wasn't cancerous, and the recovery period of six to eight weeks and going back to work, I said to my wife, Nikki, I said, it's great that I'm healthy again. It's great that I actually got to, you know, teach and finish the class. But, you know, there's been this whole book idea that's been banging around in my head for 20 to 25 years. And if I had, in fact, died from the brain tumor that summer, that would have been my only regret. And Nikki being Nikki, she said, well, you know, at age 51, if that's your only regret, you're doing a lot better than most. <laughs> and... Why don't we get busy and figure out what it would take to get the book written? And so because I was serious now, because I had sort of had that, you know, encounter with my own mortality, we went from 20 years of nothingness to sitting down, making the commitment that we're all in on getting this done. And it took 142 days from the first day of writing to sending it to my editor five months later. Now I have to I have to ask you what did Nikki say when you came home and said I'm going to postpone treatment to teach this well, course? Well, she was she was in the um, neurologist meeting with me, and I've always been under the impression that you know we were in agreement and we were on the same page. And it was only recently that she sort of pulled me aside and said, you know, you keep telling everybody that we were on the same page. You keep telling everybody that we were in agreement. You need to understand. If they could have operated on you that afternoon, I would have signed off mm -hmm. on it. And she said, the only reason you think I was in agreement is because I knew I wasn't going to be able to change your mind. <laughs> I knew that, you know, this was the decision that you had to make and you weren't going to make a different one. So um, she was supportive, but that doesn't necessarily mean she agreed with it. Well, I have to tell you this. So when I started reading your book, and as someone who spent more time in college than I should have, uh, <laughs> when, when I read that you were going to introduce a history of Disneyland course, and something you say is uh, that you're, you had a fear of presenting this idea to not only your peers, but the students to see you know, if they would take on, if it would be popular. But after it, after it caught, you had to have been the most popular teacher on campus. Well, it's not hard to be the most popular teacher on campus when you're there in the summertime because there's not a lot of other faculty members. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of other students. But, no, the, the course has become very popular, so much so that when we take the field trip to Disneyland, well, first of all, we cap the course at 20 students, and there's two reasons for that. One, when we take that field trip to Disneyland, everybody wants to bring friends and family members. Mm -hmm. And I'm not interested in being the next international tour group with a yellow flag going through Epcot. <laughs> so, you know, what I, what I tell them is, look, we're going to cut the class in half. We'll bring 10 students 
And so by the time everybody adds in their friends and family members, then we'll end up with a more reasonable group of, you know, say 25. And we ended up we end up doing that twice every summer semester. And then the last thing that we do, which is actually even cooler than going to Disneyland, quite frankly, we always end the semester by going to San Bernardino and taking a tour of the Garner Holt production facilities. And nice. Garner Holt today is the world's largest maker of audio animatronics. Uh, they created all of the audio animatronics in Cars Land. Uh, they did the great uh, dragon at the uh, end of the Fantasmic show. And what we get to see and experience uh, at, uh, at Garner Holt is, in my opinion, even better than Disneyland. Because anyone, assuming you've got the outrageous amount of money that it costs today, anyone can buy a ticket to get into Disneyland. Not everyone can get in and see what's going on at Garner Holt behind the scenes. But they limit us to 25 people on that tour. So, again, that puts a cap on what would otherwise be a really, really, really popular class. And to be honest with you, that's also part of the reason why we wrote the books and why I do the speaking is because I think the information and the material is really, really important. And I don't just want to limit it to the 20 students who can take the class every summer. I want everyone to have the opportunity to see how Walt Disney's story and what you experience in the parks can, in fact, truly connect with your story. And whatever idea you might have, whatever dream you're dreaming about, hopefully use that motivation and inspiration to get you busy and help you see your own dreams come true. What impact do you think, or have you seen this class and this course have on the students that are taking? I know you probably keep in touch with students that you've had in the course. You know, they go on to to work and to have families. And have they gotten back to you? I know you do say in the book you give a couple testimonials of people who've taken the course. But uh, going more in depth on that, I mean, that was what I really, when I was reading, I thought, you know, what, what it, one, what an amazing out of the box way of thinking with this course, but also what impact is this having on the students, you know, in the long term? Sure. So I think there's, um, there's three or four immediate things to come to mind. First of all, um, I have had a student who had been working on a Hollywood screenplay for forever. And, you know, in the middle of taking the course, he, you know, pulled the screenplay out, dusted it off, got back to work on it and managed to find an agent to pitch it to. And again, that's the sort of motivation and inspiration that we're looking to be a byproduct of students taking the class. I've got another student who um, very entrepreneurial minded and wanted to get into a dog care business. And, you know, she sort of grew up in an environment in the family that wasn't entrepreneurial and thought, you know, that whole thing was, you know, stupid and, 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 and silly and, you know, just go to school and get a real job already. And again, in the middle of the semester, you know, she began doing what she needed to do to get that business off the ground. Again, using that sort of inspiration and motivation. You know, we have students who historically have been struggling in college, um, not doing particularly well. And who knows, but maybe they sign up for History of Disneyland. You said you'd been there a little too long. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, they, maybe they sign up for History of Disneyland because they need something that uh, they're expecting not to be difficult, not to be academically challenging and they walk out of there regardless of what grade they earn they walk out of there with some uh, skills and, 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 a, and a mindset and some tools that then help them be more successful in all of their other classes 
in the future semesters. And then lastly, and, and, and this is this is sort of maybe the coolest thing for me, we end up with veterans in the, in the course over the summer because our um, our military service members, you know, they have to stay uh, in school. You know, summer isn't any different for them than fall or winter when it comes to their VA benefits or their housing allowance. And so they end up registering, you know, for History of Disneyland because, you know, they got to be taking something, right? And they'll tell me up front, you know, I don't really care about Disneyland. I don't really care about, you know, going to an amusement park. And, you know, on field trip day, you know, we show up there and, you know, if there was a little bit of traffic or, you know, maybe they're bringing their wife and they had a little bit of a spat, you know, on their way to the park. You know, they are typically um, the, the individuals who are most out on A, the class and B, actually going to Disneyland. And, you know, our second or third attraction is riding the teacups in Fantasyland. And all of a sudden it becomes a game, you know, between, you know, these hard <laughs> veterans over who can spin that teacup the faster. It is transformative. They become completely different people, completely different students as a result of that experience. And that leaves a smile on my face every single time. Yeah. And I, you know, as I'm, like I said, when I first picked up your book, I was thinking, okay, it's going to be a book about the history of Disneyland, which of course I am 100% on, on board. We do a couple other shows. We do walking with Walt and we do the Disney eight And this season of the Disney eight. We looked at some of the um, most influential eight women of the Disney corporation from the past and uh, just really dove, dove in and gave them some time, you know, trying to teach people about their history and how they not only, you know, helped the Disney company, but helped with just, uh, society in general. Uh, but one of my favorite stories, because I think when a lot of people think about Walt Disney, he went from a man to he's a character, you know, for a lot of the newer generation, they don't recognize him that he had flaws and he had failures. And one of my favorite stories, and it's something that you talk about was Walt Disney's closed circus in Disneyland and how Walt used his failures to, you know, make not only the park, but himself better. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, um, you know, I, I say all the time, it's been more than 50 years since Walt Disney died. And what we remember are all of those successes. And why not? I mean, he created the world's most popular and profitable cartoon character in Mickey Mouse, uh, the world's first full-length animated feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and the dream of Disneyland, which has become all of the Disney parks around the world today. That's what we remember. But somewhere along the way, we've managed to forget all of his failures, which, of course, includes the bankruptcy with Laugh-A-Gram Studio in Kansas City in 1923, losing Oswald the Not-So-Lucky Rabbit in 1928, uh, the way in which Roy didn't believe in Snow White, the way in which Roy and Lily did not believe in the dream and doubted Disneyland, uh, the way in which opening day was a disaster and the way in which, you know, they managed to get a million guests in there between July and September. And come November, Walt wants to recreate this childhood experience of having his own circus. And it fails. It, 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 it fails miserably. And so, you know, Walt has become this mythical figure. The truth of the matter is he's a lot more like you and me than we ever want to recognize. And the truth of the matter is, it's it's not that Walt didn't fail like you and me. He failed all the time. Walt made the decision to keep moving forward. Lily said Walt Disney was never beaten at anything. 
And I think there's a real lesson there. We need to keep moving forward. Yes, we're going to fail. We need to pick ourselves up and, again, make that conscious choice and decision to keep moving forward. No, you're 100% right. And I want to take this to a personal story about you because uh, you, as I'm reading this book, reminded me a lot about Walt because you did have failures that you turned around to successes. And the, one of the things that an obstacle in your life was your tuition when you were, when you were going to st- school and the story about your tuition, uh, <laughs> which I found was just so interesting that you were able to, you were so positive about that situation. You were able to turn that around and, and make it what it is. I was the first person in my family to go to college, but there wasn't ever really a conversation about what college was going to look like. And so I, um, I, I made the decision after graduating from high school that I was going to stay home for a year, work and save money so that I could actually afford to go. And this is 1981, and I stayed home and I worked, and I spent all of my money playing Miss Pac-Man. I, I kid you not, <laughs> every single possible quarter went for that year. And come fall of 1982, I had a friend of mine from high school who literally called me up one day and said, hey are you still interested in going to that school in Southern Mississippi? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think about it all the time. And he's like, I got my financial aid in, I've got the scholarship. I, I, I'm leaving tomorrow. If you want to you know, come, you're, you're welcome to join me. And, um, you know, I looked at my social calendar, which, you know, in fall of 1982 had nothing on it. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, sure. And so I, I pack everything up and my mom comes into my room and she's like, What's going on? And I'm like, well, hey, you know, Don's going to go to school in Mississippi tomorrow. And he asked if I wanted to ride along. And so I'm going to go with him. And she's like, oh, that's great, honey. And the next morning she gave me $20, kissed me on the head and, you know, basically said, have a nice life. And, uh, you know, we drove the four and a half hours to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And um, I walk into the admissions office. They've got nothing on me. They have no idea who Jeff Barnes is. And, um, I uh, just sort of, you know, watched what was going on in front of me. And when it was my turn, I I gave them my name and had, you know, the young lady, probably a student worker, went and looked for my file, couldn't find it, of course, and then apologized for not being able to locate it. And I just said, hey, you know, don't worry about it. Give me all the paperwork and I'll, I'll fill it out all right here. And I did. And I ended up rooming with my buddy from high school and then you know, a couple of days later, went through registration and, you know, it was like $3,682. And I'm looking at the VP of the school and I said to him, I don't quite have $3,682. And he said, well, young man, what do you have? And I said, I've got 20 bucks. I'll be happy to split it with you. And he did. (laughs) And I never looked back. And, you know, here I am, you know, Dean of Student Success and Professor of Humanities at a university in Southern California. And, you know, part of it was courage, part of it was confidence, and part of it was quite frankly, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old and you got nowhere else to go and nothing else to do, what do you got to lose? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And there was a quote in your book that I that I made sure to write down, not only for this interview, but also for just my personal growth is, you, you, many people avoid success, but it's impossible to avoid fear and failure. So I think a lot of people, whenever they, they fail for the first time, you know, you have to pick yourself back up. And that's one thing I really took from both your books 
is, you know, not only did Walt do it, you did it. And uh, it's not easy sometimes, but if you make yourself do it, of course, you're going to find success. Uh, but, you know, our community, the Disney Dads community, when we started this, our major thing was whether there are four people listening or 40,000 people listening, we want this to be a family. We want this to be a family show, and we want for our Facebook community to always stay. If a five-year-old can't be on there, you know, uh, talking about the love for Disney, then we don't want it, you know, and, and we've really enjoyed that community. It's such a motivational, inspirational place. Uh, I want to ask you, you know, with your love for not only Disneyland, but also for Walt Disney, how, has, how have those two things, Walt and Disneyland, impacted your personal family? Um, well, first of all, I mean, it is mine and Nikki's happy place, period, end of conversation. Um, it's, it's where we spent our honeymoon. Nikki had never been to Disneyland uh, before we got married. And, you know, I don't care what's going on at, at, at work, at home, um, between the two of us, the kids, you name it. Um, we can take off to Disneyland and, and, and just have a, have a wonderful time. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a different experience now, um, you know, because you know we, we go to Disneyland and you know people want to meet up and um, you know we have you know great conversations have made you know tremendous friends. Same things happens when we go to Walt Disney World in Florida, but but I'll give you an example. We um, we stayed at the Disneyland Hotel Tuesday night. I was doing a presentation for property managers, a meeting that they were having yesterday afternoon. And so we woke up Wednesday morning at the Disneyland Hotel. And so my first hour of work was spent writing Peter Pan, Space Mountain, and Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> That's not too bad. <laughs> exactly. And then we went to the Disneyland Hotel and presented on the Wisdom of Walt. And so doing all of this has transformed um, not just us as a couple or as a family, um, but it's also transformed how we experience Disney. And mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways, um, we, we love it even more because we've been able to combine something that was very personal. And now we've connected it to something that is in line with our passion and, you know, to some degree reflects, you know, the, the work and the effort that we're willing to put on. It's not a job. Uh, which is, you know, even even better. We we absolutely love doing it. And Nikki and I met working together, and the Wisdom of Walt gives us that wonderful opportunity to continue working together. Well, and one thing I love, whenever you laid out your book, because I've, I've read a lot of Disney history books, and as you're going through, you know, you're taking in so much information, but I love the way you laid out your book with the different challenges that you issue the reader, you know, like one of my per favorite personal challenges that you did. And as you know, I get caught up in every, I have a five-year-old, you know, Mike has two daughters, uh, you know, Jason has two boys. We're all fathers it, is you get caught up in your day and there's little things that come along and you forget what's really important sometimes. And one of my favorite challenges that you issued me as a reader was to write down your top three items you own, and then to write down your type top three life experiences. And of those two, what are, which one's more important to you? And of course, it, it, that makes it so simple when you put it down on paper. And I think a lot of people, whenever they'll sit back and realize that those material possessions aren't the things that are going to last a lifetime like these memories are. 
And that's what Disneyland does for us and Walt Disney World does for us is it creates family memories that last an absolute lifetime. And I really, really enjoyed those personal challenges. Was that something when you were, when you were structuring your book, is that something you, you said, I have to put these in here? I would love to tell you that I had this grand vision um, and, you know, the book is going to do this. You know, we're going to lay it out in this particular format. Um, if I knew that all ahead of time, I would have written the book 20 years ago. Um, again, it took getting sick to get serious. And then once I got serious, I made that commitment that I was going to sit down and work on this and write on this every single day, no matter what, zero excuses. And the format came to me, honestly, about halfway through. And when I say halfway through, I, it, halfway through means in terms of word count. Um, you know, the books are somewhere between 67, 68,000 words and probably somewhere in the 30,000 word mark of the first book, I recognize that there's a pattern here to the chapters. And um, I'm a very logical person, but I don't write in a linear fashion. I don't mm -hmm. write from beginning to middle to end. So for example, the last chapter in the second book, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, was the first completed chapter in that book. Really, okay. Uh, chapter 11 in The Wisdom of Walt was the first completed chapter in that book. Oddly enough, it was the last chapter that I even started. Um, mm. But once I started it and it became the first finished chapter, I'm like, ooh, I really like this format. And, um, you know, the format includes starting each chapter with a story from the park, making sure there's information in there about Walt, information in there about me or Nikki or Nikki and me the family, the kids, whatever, um, you know, history from the parks that, you know, has application for whatever the life lesson or success principle might be. And then ultimately the souvenir stops and the hand stamp story. Th there was no souvenir stop. There was no hand stamp story until chapter 11 detailing your destiny in the wisdom of Walt somewhere between 30 and 35,000 words in. And then it, it made it a lot easier because then we were able to look at what I had written and see what we had, see what we didn't have, and it almost sort of became paint by number from that point because we could look at where the gaps were and we just wrote according to the gaps. It sounds a lot easier than it actually was. <laughs> I was about to say, you're making this sound way too easy. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, the, the, but the second book was a lot easier as a result, and I – you know, I liked that formula. I got a lot of positive response mm -hmm. from readers because of the formula. And so we commit, we stayed committed to sticking to it as a result. And I think the biggest risk, and, 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 and I, and I want to sort of dovetail what you were talking about. And that is regardless of whether you have five listeners or 5 million, this is who you are. This is who you want to be. These are the values that you're going to commit to. I knew going in, I didn't want to write just a Disney history book. I knew going in, I didn't want to write another Disney business corporate speak book. I also knew that I wanted to honor the parks and the fact that Walt wanted to be remembered as a storyteller and that he built Disneyland for the purpose of telling stories. I wanted to use the book to tell stories and again, ultimately connect with your story and help you improve your story. And if I sold one copy to one reader who improved their story, I had stayed true to what I wanted to do and, and would have been perfectly fine with that. Now, fortunately, um, you know, the marketplace has really, really, really resonated. 
to that risk that we took. But the bottom line is, you know, there were no promises, there were no guarantees. And, you know, in terms of that format, you, you know, Walt said the best way to get something done is to stop talking and, and, and start doing. And so get to work on your dream and you'll figure it out as you go along. If, if you think you have to know it all before you ever get started, you're never going to get started. Let me, let me expand on what you just said there, Jeff, is um, when you said taking the time to dream. And, and something that was kind of profound to me was uh, Walt sitting on the bench eating his peanuts. And uh, if social media would have been involved, his head would have been somewhere else and not being able to dream. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you, when you're teaching your class you know, eye to eye, when you're in front of them, do you ever drive that home to them that, that they also need to just take that time to put the social media away and, and take that time to dream? Absolutely. In fact, um, we actually had a replica of Walt's Park Bench constructed. And it's mobile. We throw it in the back of our vehicle. Um, I use it when I'm doing workshops, when I'm doing keynote presentations. And when we get to that section in The Wisdom of Walt, when I'm teaching the History of Disneyland class, they're required to take a certain amount of time during the day, during that week, to go out, sit on their park bench, and and just have ideas, just think crazy thoughts, to just dream and be 100% disconnected from the rest of the world, starting with electronics and all of the social media. I, I absolutely love that. And Justin, I got one more thing I want to throw in here because I cannot let you uh, come on. And and first of all, let me tell you, the book is brilliant. That was the one word that I told Justin I said when we were talking about this. I said, listen, Wisdom of Walt to me is brilliant. Can't recommend it enough because it is such a fun read. It's one that um, I connected like – when I reached out to you, I had no problem because I felt like you were family because I felt that connected to you and, and, and your life from reading the book, okay? Now, my next question to you is, I, or my next uh, request from you is, I really can't let you go away without telling the Tiki Room story <laughs> because that that is, that is to me, the perfect story that my kids are going to love and I've been saving it for them. Um, so, yeah, um, my first trip to a Disney park wasn't Disneyland. That didn't happen until I was 25 in 1988. And as I write about in the book, I actually hated Disneyland my first day. And if you'd have told me, I, look, you're going to go on and fall in love with this place and have a honeymoon here and, you know, write a college course and uh, you know, best-selling book and, you know, travel the world doing keynotes based on this park, I would have I said you were absolutely out of your mind. Um, and, and part of my challenge with my first day at Disneyland was that I had grown up in Florida and my first experience was at Walt Disney World. And that took place in August of 1974. And in August of 1974, well, first of all, we're still using ticket books, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're trying to figure out how you're going to use the A's, the B's. You're, you know, desperately trying to hold on to the E tickets. Um, I'm there with my family of six and there's no fast pass. And if, if you if you want to ride Pirates, which has been open about six months at this point, it's going to be a really, really, really long way. If you want to ride Haunted Mansion, it's going to be a really, really, really long way. You, you don't get to cool off in the People Mover because it hasn't opened yet. And you don't get the thrills of Space Mountain because, again, it hasn't opened yet. And what I really, really remember from that trip was standing in line for about three hours on a really hot, humid, interminable <laughs> August evening waiting 
for Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Now, that seems insane today because of Fast Pass, because of all of the other attractions that are options. Um, but hey, in 1974, we were still all in on what seemed to be an impossible and miraculous kind of show. And literally, as we are stepping into the show building, my three-year-old sister says to my parents, um, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and and, 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 and they, they, they like panic. And, I, you know, today I would say there, there's got to be a bathroom nearby. You know, maybe you go to a cast member and, and try to figure this out. I don't know. But for whatever reason, my parents said to my little sister, who had only been potty trained a few months at this point, they just looked at her and said, look, we've waited in this line for three hours. The show's about to start. Do your business in your pants. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> so my first experience in Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, when they break into the song, the Tiki 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 Room, the 10-year-old boy in me to this day thinks the pee-pee-pee-pee-pee-pee-pee-pee <laughs> room because, you know, my sister has just gone to the bathroom in her pants right before the show started. That's dedicated parents, though. You know that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was an earworm. That's that when I when I read that that was because I said that and that was just an earworm that was just stuck in my head and and it's hard to get out the pee pee yep. room and by the way that is not my sister's favorite story <laughs> I was wondering about that how she feel about that now <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of fun dis like let's give our Disney family a couple fun Disney history uh, stories that you tell in your books and uh, I think they were a lot of fun and one of them is the story of the petrified stump and Lily's reaction to that yeah so um. Walt and Lily celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary, uh, July 13th, 1955, at Disneyland. And they invited guests, and you know they were driven down Main Street, and they take the maiden voyage of the Mark Twain around the rivers of America. And then everything ends with the first show there uh, in, in, in Frontierland at you know the Golden Horseshoe Saloon. And Diane Disney believed that was the happiest night of Walt's life, which is a really good thing because four days later the park's going to open and it's going to be a complete disaster in Black Sunday. <laughs> Fast forward to next year and they're not opening Disneyland. In fact, they're going across the country back home to Marceline where they're being honored uh, on July 4th weekend. They're opening up a community pool. They're naming it in honor of both Walt and Roy. And, you know, they are the hometown boys done good, right? And on the drive back home, Walt stops in Colorado and finds this petrified tree stump and <laughs> absolutely falls in love with it. And he's trying to figure out how he can rationalize it and then remembers it's early July. Hey, it's our wedding anniversary next week. I'll give it to Lillian as an anniversary <laughs> And he presents it to her, and she manages to hide her horror for it by saying, oh, gee, Walt, um, thanks, but you know this thing is really kind of big, and I don't think it's going to fit on the mantle over the fireplace. I tell you what, I'll dedicate it to Disneyland, and you can use it in the park. And so um, you know, when I give my tours, I always say this is actually the oldest attraction in Disneyland because it's somewhere between 50 and 70 million years old. And it's been sitting in Frontierland next to the Rivers of America since their wedding anniversary in 1956. And that story is proof that Walt made mistakes. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Interestingly enough, 
I work with a guy today who is from Colorado who claims that it was one of his family members who sold the tree stump and shipped it to Walt back in 1956. That's pretty, I, I love stories of people who had personal interactions with Walt, but another story that I love, and it's a story most people probably don't know about, is a story of Disneyland and Doritos. That is actually my favorite fun Disney fact. Um, so when the park first opened, he barely had money for land, the park and the attractions. He certainly didn't have money to stock the stores or to run the restaurants. So all of that gets leased out. And the opening day restaurant in Frontierland was Casa de Fritos, sponsored by Frito-Lay. And sometime in the 1960s, at the end of the day, a cast member noticed that they would end up with all of these excess tortillas. Now you have to realize in you know 1960 America, there isn't a Mexican restaurant, and certainly not a Taco Bell on every street corner. And so, you know, going to Frontierland and having a Mexican meal in Frontierland that was something you know very different, unique, and and, and somewhat special. So they would end up with all of these extra tortillas, and an ingenious cast member decided to take the excess, cut them up, deep fry them, and dump a bunch of seasoning on them. And over time. That snack in Frontierland at Casa de Fritos became the most popular snack in all of Disneyland. So popular that in 1966, Frito-Lay decided to take the snack nationwide, and today we enjoy them as Doritos. Yeah, and I looked up today. If I was, if I asked my wife, I said, "How many how many flavors of Doritos worldwide do you think there are?" A hundred and two flavors of Doritos. Wow. I remember when worldwide. there was one, the taco flavor. <laughs> Right. It all started with Disneyland. Yes. And if you go back and you look at the original Disneyland sign that used to be in the parking lot off of Harbor Boulevard, and you look at the original branding for Doritos on the first bags, the Doritos name across the bag looks exactly like the Disneyland sign on Harbor Boulevard. So listen, Jeff, it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show tonight. It's been it's been a pleasure. You've been so informative. We've had a few guests on the show before, and one thing that we like to do is a little bit of a lightning round. So uh, Jason, Justin, and I are going to give you uh, a couple of questions each, and we want to get your quick one-word answer in a lightning round type thing. You you up for that challenge? All right, great. Uh, Jason, why don't you start with your first question? All right. Favorite author? Favorite author? Oh, it's supposed to be a lightning round. Um, <laughs> I You can go a little in-depth. <laughs> I really like the book Three Years in Wonderland, which tells the first three years of Disneyland story and history. And I really, really, really like the writing. And for the life of me, the name of the author just escapes me. We'll get it. He's, um, he's, a, he's another academic, but he doesn't write like an academic. His, his research is in, impeccable, um, but he's out of San Luis Obispo in California. Cool. Well, my brain always goes to one thing. Favorite dining experience in Walt Disney World and in Disneyland. Uh, favorite dining experience. So uh, that would easily be the California Grill at the top of the Contemporary Resort. Um, and not because it's the California Grill and that we're from California. So can, can we go out of the lightning round and me tell us? Of course. Story? Yeah, go ahead. Do whatever you want. Okay. So in 1974, when I went to my first Disney park, um, I also remember as a little kid, because, you know, the Tiki Room is really impressive when you're 10 in 1974. So, too, is a monorail that goes through a hotel, i.e. the Contemporary Resort. And when the monorail stopped in the Contemporary, I looked at my parents and I'm like, whoa, 
what is this? And what they said to me was, Jeff, it doesn't matter what this is. It's not for us. Well, it's not for us meant we couldn't afford it. It's not for us meant for the next six nights, me and our family of six, we were stuck in a single room at the Days in Kissimmee. <laughs> it's not for us meant for the next 42 years. I don't know how many times we went to Walt Disney World, rode the monorail through the Contemporary Resort into the Magic Kingdom, went to all of the other Walt Disney World hotel resorts and properties, never once stepping into the Contemporary Resort. And finally, Nikki realized I had never been in there. She wanted to know why. And I'm like, because it's not for us. And she was like, that's stupid. That's silly. That's ridiculous. Why do you have this limited thought or this limited thinking, this limited belief? And so last November, for the first time in since, you know, 1974, my first visit, stepped off the monorail into the Contemporary Resort. And we had Thanksgiving dinner at the California Grill. And it was absolutely amazing. That's such a great story. Can I just interject and tell you how amazing your wife is? Okay. She she is she's just she's just something else, and I love that you guys are are that that team, and that's just great. Well, you know, if you give me brilliant, I'll let her have amazing. I think that's- <laughs> hey, that works I'm for not, me. That's I'm perfect. not going to let you off the hook though, because I want to know Disneyland because I'm going to be there in about eh, twenty days. Blue Bayou. We have it booked. Absolutely, yeah, no, it's 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 it, it, it's it's the Blue Bayou. Favorite Disney character. Um, you know, I'm really partial to Donald Duck. You know, he's got attitude. Um, things don't ever really go his way, yet he, you know, keeps coming back. Recently had a birthday last Saturday. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with Donald. Cool, cool. Beautiful. Um, favorite country that you've traveled to? France. Do you know why? They have those delicious drinks there at the... Because they have a <laughs> Disneyland. That's right, yeah. Which is on my wife's list. My wife Katie keeps telling me, all right, Disneyland Paris is our next stop. Uh, favorite Disney memory? Um, standing on Main Street with Nikki watching the fireworks on our honeymoon and both of, both of us just, you know, emotionally overwhelmed. Not just because we're at Disneyland, but because we're together at Disneyland. Cool, cool. Alone on a deserted island, what book is in your bag? Ooh, um... Boy, that is a great, great. Does it have to be a Disney book? No, 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 not. no, no, any book. No, okay. Um, whoo, alone on a deserted island probably shouldn't be one of my books. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Wow. Um, I, this is Charlotte's Web. Ooh, it's a good one. Wow, wow, cool, okay, cool. That's yeah. a great one. Yeah, that's a really good one. Now, now I'm going to hit you with my last one. Your most profound thought you've ever had in your life most profound thought i, I mean i'm sitting here like without any profound thoughts why you- <laughs> <laughs> um the most uh, <laughs> uh, profound thought um for me it's this idea that any person at any point in their life can make a different decision and start living a completely different story and the second you make that choice and start making different decisions you will start living a life that a year from now five years from now you'll not even be able to recognize it's perfect love it and before and before i give you my last one i i that's that's perfect and i love the part in your book where and i think it was in beyond the wisdom of walt where you say make your goal 
now make it, I think it was 10 times uh, larger. And if you, for a year, make it six months, you know, and that, that kind of goes exactly what you're saying there. My third one is this, your favorite story about Walt Disney. Oh, um, boy, that, that's, that's hard to, um, I, I love the Oswald story. Um, and the way in which, um, he's staring bankruptcy in the face all over again. And rather than, you know, texting his shrink or calling his lawyer, um, he pulls out a pad of paper and sketches out a whole new story with a whole new character. Um, you know, a little mouse that he remembered who had kept him company during those dark days in, in Kansas city. Um, and you know, Walt said, we can never forget that it all started with a mouse well, no, it really all started with a rabbit, and the mouse was born out of desperation. Mm-hmm. But again, um, I, I mean, and I, and I ask people this, where would Walt have been if Laughagram Studio was a success? Does he stay in Kansas City? Does he spend the rest of his life creating animation advertisements for a local dentist? If, if he doesn't lose Oswald, which I know was awful in the moment, if he doesn't lose Oswald, he never has a need for Mickey, so why does he come up with him? I've never, you know, of all the books and all the studying and all the history I've gone, I've never thought about that. What if, what if, you know, Laughagram doesn't go under? That's a great, now, now I'm going to be up, I'm going to be up all night now thinking about what happens. <laughs> and so the point to all of that is whether you realize it or not, life is happening for you. It's not happening against you. So, so go with it. You, you may not like it. It may not have been what you wanted or what you were expecting, but it can work for you if you allow it to. I have one last question. You have 24 hours in any park by yourself. Where are you spending those 24 hours? Um, I am going to fly to Tokyo and go to Disney Seas. And I say that because I've never been, and that is easily my number one bucket list item, period, in the conversation. Um, I, you know, The people who are sort of in this circle, Sam Genoway, who's an urban planner, wrote the Disneyland story, uh, Bill Butler, who's the creative director for Garner Holt Productions, to a person, they all say that Tokyo Disney Sea is the best theme park environment anywhere in the world, and I'm I'm dying to say it. So, Jeff, we've talked a lot about your about your books today. Tell our Disney Dads family the best way to get a hold of your books and get in contact with you guys. Absolutely. So, uh, you can find me at thewisdomofwalt.com. Uh, you can send me an email through the website. You can personally order uh, books that I will sign. Uh, they ship out of our house, and you know we'll write a little note to you. You'll get a bookmark. Um, you know, really, you know, ordering books uh, through thewisdomofwalt.com is is the best, most personal way to do that. Of course, you can find them on Amazon, hard copy, uh, soft cover, uh, Kindle eBooks, and audio books as well. And so again, thewisdomofwalt.com. And you can buy the books, either The Wisdom of Walt, Leadership Lessons from the Happiest Place on Earth, or Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, Life Lessons from the Most Magical Place on Earth. And regardless of whether you find me at the website or find me on Amazon, um, you know, send me an email. You can find me on uh, Facebook as Jeff Barnes. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter as at Dr. Disneyland. So talking about Jeff's uh, social media and website, we love on our social media or on our Facebook page is our favorite thing of the week, and that is Pictures of the Week. Picks of the Week. Picks of the Week. It's time for us to get our Picks of the Week. Jeff, since you're our 
fantastic guest this week. Why don't you tell us what your pick of the week is? Um, I'm going to go with the um, Goodnight Epcot Aaron White photo. Um, cool. For no other reason, Nikki and I were just there uh, last weekend, and we, we, we got to do one thing in Epcot. I was there to give a commencement speech, so we didn't have a lot of time. Um, but we were in Epcot for like 15 minutes, and the one thing we did was ride Spaceship Earth. And it was probably about that time of night. So I'm going to go with Aaron White's Goodnight Epcot photo. Jason, what do you got this week? You know, guys, I was so excited to follow Dan Rossi and his family on their trip. He was so good. Guys, did you not live vicariously through this guy the whole time? No, he was amazing. I mean, he was so good about posting all the pictures, I mean, from the kingdom to Epcot. I mean, Dan, listen, thank you so much for that. And uh, we had a great ride with you. Yeah, I saw day one, then day two, then day three, and I'm like, I'm so happy he's keeping this going because I was enjoying going through those pictures myself. Justin, what's your uh, picture of the week? Ooh, it's hard this week. As every week, I'm looking through all these great pictures. My pick of the week is Sean Miranda. Uh, Sean did 10 days in California, and I tell you, it's just I'm looking at those amazing pictures out of Disneyland, and your family looks like they had such a great time. Thank you for sharing with us and for uh, letting us be just a little part of the Disney magic that you had while at Disneyland. Now, I get to take Jason's spot. Since I'm going last, I get to pick a few because I'm going to want to steal everybody else's. And this week, there was definitely quite a few we could pick. And uh, my first one that I'm going to pick is a congratulations to Gigi Burns. They are now not only part of our Disney Dads family, but they are part of the DVC family. And that's fantastic. We're so happy you took the plunge. We look forward to seeing you many, many pictures in the park. And uh, congratulations on that. Uh, also, I like the picture of Jordan uh, Izzo. They're down in Disney, and they're celebrating a new baby on the way, and that is absolutely fantastic. Excellent. I'm so excited about that. I love that. that picture. And yep. I see my buddy that's got a Yankee hat on, so it's an even better picture. <laughs> 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 we love our Yankee fans. And my last but not least, one of our near and dear friends to the show, Rachel Spear. Let me tell you, your uh, engagement photos were fantastic. They were they were beautiful. Thank you for sharing with the group. Uh, many other great pictures this week. So many to mention. And uh, guys, did it another week. It, it was fantastic. You know, speaking of something fun, guys, we got something planned next year that is going to be an absolute blast, and it's going to be a blast for everybody, and it's going to be our first annual Disney Dads Cruise, and I'm so excited about it. Justin, tell them how they can jump on board with us. Super excited to have everybody joining us. We've had such an outreach of families, and so many people have already booked. That is on the beautiful Disney Dream July 17th through the 21st and it's not only on the disney dream but it's a double dip at castaway key so we're excited to have you on there'll be all kinds of great things we'll be doing a live show on castaway also some amazing gifts there waiting for you in your room open bar for the adults and some giveaways for the kids so uh, make sure to get a hold of jamie or myself at disney dads at awaywithmetravel.com and speaking of getting a hold of you, last week's trivia question real quick was who takes todd the fox into our home in the Fox and the Hound, Widow Tweed, Big Mama, or Amos Slade? And the answer is, and you guys know, Tweed. Widow Tweed it was. Nice. And uh, for those of you that texted those answers in, fantastic job. Nice job. Uh, let me go ahead and give a trivia question for next week real quick. What Disney syndicated television show features two of the film industry's best known movie critics? It's a little bit tougher. What Disney syndicated television show featured features two of the film industry's best-known movie critics? 
And you can text your answers to 317-WDW-DADS. That's 317-939-3237. Make sure to get a hold of us. The easiest way is at our website, www.DisneyDadsPodcast.com. There you can find the links to all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're the most active on our Facebook, so make sure to come over there. Get to know us. Let us get to know you and let us be uh, a part of your Disney family. We enjoy that so much, getting on there every day and seeing those pictures and hearing those stories. It's just positivity that's reinforced on a daily basis. And uh, Also, you can find our SoundCloud channels there as well to where you can hear not only uh, music from the Disney parks, but sounds from the Disney parks to get you through your day till your next trip. And You can also shoot us an email at DisneyDadsPodcast at gmail.com. Jeff, it was great having you on the show tonight. It was an absolute blast. Uh, you're welcome on our show anytime. Uh, I, I, this was one of our, one of my favorite episodes. I got to hear you, you know, not myself talk for once, and you know, you guys really got into it, and you had some amazing, amazing stories. Make sure everybody goes out and gets the book. You're not going to be disappointed. So, love this show, guys. Um, really like who you're about, and quite frankly, what you're about, and um, would be uh, thrilled to be back on at any point. We would be so excited to have you. And I have to tell every, all of our Disney families listening right now, if you've never read a Disney history book or a personal growth book, or if you've read 100, go pick this book up. I enjoyed it. I, I went through not only The Wisdom of Walt, but Beyond the Wisdom of Walt in no time. I couldn't put it down because of the way you structure it. It's such an easy read. It's so informative. And there are times I'm writing things down you know, for, for myself. So I want to thank you for coming on and for, I want to thank you for putting those books out and for, you know, giving that to the public who not only love Disney, but are looking to grow themselves uh, uh, personally in their own lives. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on because I am such a fan of the books and um, I want to ask you this. Do you have any uh, books in the works for the future? The obvious third book would be the worldwide wisdom of Walt, which would be based on stories from the international parks um, but a title does not a book make. So um, if there are additional leadership and life and success principles that need to be covered and they can be covered based on stories from the parks or the cruise lines around the world, then yeah, absolutely. I would love to do a third book. Um, but we're not working on it just yet. Um, we're, we're still trying to build, um, you know, the speaking platform of the, you know, that side of the, the Wisdom of Walt business. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we get asked that question a lot. And if there if there's going to be a third book, that's what it will be. Well, at least the questions are being answered so you know there's a desire. When the folks in Orlando were like, hey, we love this book, but what about us in our park? You know, I was sort of like, Walt, no, there'll, there'll, there'll never be another Wisdom of Walt. Just like you said, there'll never be another Disneyland. And the next thing you know, you're, you're doing another one and it's bigger than the first. So... Um, yeah, that's, that's sort of exactly what happened with, with, with beyond. And, um, yeah, I like writing. I like the creative process. Um, I like, you know, connecting those stories to your story. Uh, but again, it can't just be another history book and it can't just be a, a, a business book. The, the stories from the parks have got to drive, um, lessons that are going to help you with your story. And, um, uh, you know, who knows, maybe I need to get on a plane and, go to Tokyo and Disney seas and, you know, figure out what their stories are all about. I, th I think that's a beautiful statement in the show. So Dr. Disneyland, thank you very much for coming on guys. Have a good night. Have a good night. All right, all right guys. Thank you. From Mike, Justin, and myself, we want to say thank you. 
And remember, always keep it Disney. And they all live happily ever after. Each of us has a dream, a heart's desire. It calls to us. And when we're brave enough to listen and bold enough to pursue, that dream will lead us on a journey to discover who we're meant to be. All we have to do is look inside our hearts and unlock the magic within. Ready to begin. Let the and that's a wrap. This has been YDF Media Productions.